Today we're going to talk about a belt, and it is a one-size-fits-all. It is vital to our existence because it defines you, it defines me, it defines what I believe to be right and wrong, it defines the way I view the world around me, uh, the, the culture, how I go about my daily life. It is the belt of truth, and it is part of the armor of God, and it is part of the series that we're in called Battle Gear, where we're learning how to live strong for life's struggles. And it is a struggle to live daily for the Lord, isn't it? It's a struggle to do what we know is right and to continue to do what we know is right day after day after day. It is a daily difficult struggle at times, and, and that's, it's hard to understand why that is, isn't it? We know God wants us to live for him, but it is a struggle to do that. God gives us his armor so that we can live strong in the midst of those struggles. And when we look at the battle gear that he's given us, part of the preparation, as we discovered last week, we have to decide, okay, are we going to look at the world through our own education, through our own background, our own intellect, or are we going to choose to see the world the way God sees the world? And we discussed that we need, we as Christ followers, we need to learn to view the world the way God and his word see the world. We've got to be able to look at the world through the lens of God's word and the way that he sees the world. And God and his word are crystal clear. Look again at Ephesians chapter 10, verses Uh, Chapter 6, verses 10 through 13. We'll read those together again this morning. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the tactics or the schemes of the devil. For our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the world powers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. There's this war that's waging in the spiritual realm. We can't see it, but we can feel physically the effects of that war each and every day. And that's what heavens means, the spiritual realm. This is why you must take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything, take your stand. There is a place on the battlefield where God wants you to take a stand in his strength for his name. God says that we are in smack dab in the middle of this cosmic spiritual conflict that's raging all around us. We can't see it, but we feel it. It affects me, it affects you, it affects your family, people that you know. The effects of spiritual war is very real. They are very real and very physical. They manifest themselves. Everything that's physical is either influenced by or it originates in the spiritual world. So we need to know as believers, as we prepare All this going on, this struggle, there are two important things that we need to understand before we get into the specifics of armor. We discussed them last week. First of all, you're not called to join the war if you are a child of God. You're already in the war. This isn't a choice. This isn't a sermon series to try to convince you to join the war. You're already in it if you're a child of God. Thankfully, though, we're also not trying to win the war because the war's already been won. The victory's already been achieved 
through Jesus and his empty tomb. He's given us victory. We're fighting from victory, not for victory. And that's huge. We can either live as those who are victorious or we can live defeated lives. Satan wants us to live defeated lives. But through the armor of God, God wants to do two things. He wants to encourage you and he wants to equip you to live strong in life struggles so that you can live in the victory that he's already attained. Now, Paul is writing this, uh, the armor of God to the Ephesians. And as we discussed, if you'll remember in Philippians, we talked about Paul wrote Philippians chained to a guard. He was under arrest a lot of the time because of preaching the gospel, persecution that he, he faced. And when he would go under arrest, he would typically be under house arrest. And under house arrest, because of who he was and the danger they perceived that he was, he would be chained to a guard 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That's a long time. Different guards, but Roman soldiers. Think about how long Paul must have stared at each piece of armor on the Roman soldier's armor, on his outfit. I mean, every piece... Paul knew what each piece was, and he knew what each piece was used for. And so what he's doing here is he's taking, for the Ephesians, for us, he's taking each piece of the Roman soldier's armor, and he's using it to illustrate how you and I, how God equips us for battle, for spiritual battle. The, the armor, the tools that he gives us to be able to live strong in the midst of life struggles as we go about fighting battles in this spiritual war that's already been won. The battles are still real, and it goes on each and every day. So today, we're going to look at how God uses the belt of truth in battle. The belt, first of all, provides stability, which is a necessary foundation in battle. The first piece of the wardrobe that God gives us in his armor to wear is the belt. Look at verse 14. Stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist. Now, the Roman soldier's belt was very thick and it covered his entire midsection. I have in my closet way more belts than I wear. I have this whole little ring thing, tons of belts. I have maybe four that I wear regularly, depending on whether I'm dressing up or casual or whatever. Uh, that, that's what I use to determine which belt I wear. Uh, the belt has some basic functions, right? It, it holds up your pants. It allows you to tuck your shirt in. But we tend to, you know, function in fashion is, is what we use to determine which belt we wear. The Roman soldier was no different. His belt, it had a specific purpose. There were really four functions. It wasn't just fashion. It wasn't just whether or not it looked good. It served specific purposes, four things. For one thing, it protected him. Another is that it strengthened him. The third purpose is that it held resources. And then the fourth purpose is that it stabilized everything. First, it protected him. It covered his midsection. It covered his vital organs. It protected his organs. The second, it strengthened him, much like a back brace or a, a weightlifter's belt. It gave him strength to lift and to, to, do, to fight, to have strength and, and a strong core. It was important to be able to fight hand-to-hand -hand combat. 
It also held resources. I think about a tool belt. I brought my tool belt this morning. This was not a Father's Day gift, but it was a gift given to me by Gracie a long time ago, Christmas of 2005. Uh, she gave it to me. You can see her tiny little handprints, guys. See the tiny little handprints? She's a little bigger than that now. Uh, after Katrina, she knew I was going to need a tool belt, even though she was only a few months old. I think her mom had a hand in this, but uh, got me this tool belt. And I just threw some random tools in here this morning. If you have a job where you need a tool belt, you're intentional about what tools you put in there, right? I mean, it depends on what you do. If you're an electrician, you have a certain set of tools. Um, if you're a carpenter, you have another set. I mean, it just depends on what you do, but you have each tool has a purpose. And you stock your tool belt so that you'll be prepared to do the work you're going to do. It was the same with the Roman soldier's belt. He could hang armor from it, but he could also put daggers, knives, any other weapons that he might carry, anything he might need in battle. To prepare for battle, he would stock his belt with those tools. And so the, the part of the function of the tool belt is that it held resources for the soldier, but it also stabilized, it secured him. Uh, the armor attached to the belt, so in order for his, the rest of his armor to be secure, it had to be securely attached to the belt. His clothes were secured in that. It stabilized everything. And, and as he prepared for battle, he would take his tunic that was draping near the ground. He would bring it up and tuck it in his belt so that he could run around and move freely. Two very important things in battle, right? You need to be mobile. You need to be able to run. You need to be able to do all of those things. And so the belt was the core. It was the key to all of these things, all of the armor working successfully and him being stabilized and secure as he prepared to fight and as he did fight. When we wear a belt today, there are purposes. There, uh, you know, it's fashion, how it looks, whether you're dressy or not. Again, um, hold your pants up. Uh, maybe keep your shirt tucked in, keep your, your pants tight so your shirt will stay tucked in. All of these things, these are purposes that we have, but maybe also the belt, think about it, the belt's kind of the center of everything you wear, right? It's where everything kind of comes together. It's the centerpiece. And so what Paul is saying here, using the belt of truth as an analogy, is that the belt of truth, the Roman soldier's belt is an analogy, the belt of truth is supposed to be the center of our lives, right? It should be the center. As we prepare for battle, it should be the center. It strengthens us. It protects us. Truth protects us. It gives us guardrails, guidelines. It strengthens us. We know what's right. We know how to live. It gives us resources, the knowledge of God, the truth that we find in his word. And it also stabilizes us because here's the thing. If you have the belt of truth, if you know the truth of God, the God of truth, his truth, your life, if you line your life up under that truth, that's when your life will be stabilized. That's when your life will fall into place. Your priorities will fall where they need to. So what Paul's saying is, is if you want to be prepared for battle, if you want to live strong in the midst of these struggles in life, the first thing you need to know is God's truth. And you need to live under the authority of that truth, to line up your life under the authority of that truth. John 8, 44 shows us what we're up against when we face Satan, because Satan wants to distort truth, okay? God wants to line you up under truth. Satan wants to distort all of that. 
and, and, and to do anything he can to keep you from knowing the truth and believing the truth. John 8, tells us you are the father, the devil, of your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. What are those desires? Well, he was a murderer from the beginning, and he has not stood in the truth because there is no truth in him. He is the opposite of truth. There's no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he's a liar. Not only is he a liar, he's the father of lies. He is where it all began in terms of lying, deceiving, distorting, twisting the truth. Everything about Satan, everything that he uses, he can use, he uses to distort the truth, to create chaos and disorder. God is a God of design and order, but Satan wants to distort that and create chaos chaos and disorder, moving things out of alignment in our lives, creating unrest. But God is everything about him is truth. Satan is the opposite of truth, but God is the definition of truth. Look at Hebrews 6, 17 and 18, because God wanted to show his unchangeable purpose even more clearly to the heirs of the promise. He guaranteed it with an oath so that through two unchangeable things, here are two unchangeable things about God in which it's impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to seize the hope set before us. God is trustworthy and we can bank on what he says. I mean, those, God, God is God. He is who he is, always has been, always will be, and everything he says is true because he is truth. Those things are unchangeable about God. Titus 1, 2 in the hope of eternal life that God who cannot lie promised before time began. He cannot lie. It's against his very nature to lie. He's perfect. And so if he lied, he would be imperfect. But he can't lie because he is perfect. Numbers twenty three nineteen. God is not a man who lies or a son of man who changes his mind. Does he speak and not act or promise and not fulfill everything he says he's going to do? He does. When he says he's going to act, he's going to act. If he promises something, he fulfills that promise. 1 Samuel 15, 29, Furthermore, the eternal one of Israel does not lie or change his mind, for he is not a man who changes his mind. When we, as believers, understand the objective nature of truth as defined by God, and we align our lives underneath that truth, we become subject to that truth, that and only then Will everything in our lives fall into place? I'm not saying everything will be perfect. Everything, that's not the point. Your lives will be structured the way God intends. Your priorities will be what God intends for them to be. Your life will be moving in the direction that God wants it to move. But you have to first believe his truth and align yourself under that truth. Feelings can't be the standard by which we determine truth, what's right and wrong, what's true or not. Feelings change. Feelings are affected by circumstances, by how much we grow, what we learn, what's going on in our lives. You can't trust those things. But God never changes. And so his truth is what we have to use. His standards are what we have to use to line our lives up underneath. The belt of truth provides stability. Next, the belt represents truth as a necessary component in battle. God is trying to show us that if we don't have, remember, everything in the soldier's armor connected to that belt. It was dependent, basically, on that belt. Everything was secured, the important pieces. It was the center of his, his uniform, and so of his armor. So 
What God is saying is that if the belt of truth is not the center of our lives, our lives are going to fall apart. They're just going to fall apart. So what is truth? Well, let's look first at how Satan attacks truth. Here's what Satan tries to to get you to do. Here's how he attacks truth. The first thing he does, he wants to try to get you to doubt God's existence. And if if he can't do that, he at least wants to get you to doubt that he loves you. If he can do that, then he's got a foot in the door. Remember, he uses that foot in the door strategy. He's got a foot in the door. The second thing that Satan tries to do is he wants you to reject God's word, the Bible, as the word of truth as being correct and accurate, that it is the standard of truth. If he can get you to doubt God's word, then that opens the door to insert other methods of determining what's right and what's wrong. He also wants you, listen, you can believe in God, you can even believe in the Bible, but a lot of people don't believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world. So that's another tactic. He's going to say, okay, it's okay to believe in God, it's okay to believe the Bible, but, you know, Jesus isn't really who he said he was. So if he can get you to doubt the Savior, then he's, he's got you defeated. But let me tell you what the number one tool in our day and time, in our culture, the number one tool, strategy that Satan uses to attack truth is relativism. Relativism is the number one tool that Satan uses. And here is relativism. Relativism says that all points of view have equal value and truth is up to the individual. Now, that sounds great, but the problem with that is if I tell you that the moon's made of cheese and you tell me it's not, are both of those beliefs equally valid, equally true, trustworthy? Absolutely not. I mean, the, the whole premise of this is flawed, but that's what defines our culture today. And what happens is the result of relativism is that you get a mishmash of what people believe is right and wrong, it creates chaos and it opens up the door and we see it every day. It creates a a scene, a culture where what's right today may not be right tomorrow or where my truth may not be your truth and your truth may not be somebody else's, your neighbor's truth. And and, and what's right and wrong changes. I mean, one week you read a, a study that says coffee will kill you. The next week a new study comes out that says you should drink a cup every day, that it saves your life. One year you read a, a study that says you shouldn't eat eggs because they're bad for you. The next year a study tells you to eat at least two a day because it's good for you. I mean, what, what we determine is right and wrong changes with new information all of the time. We can't trust what we, what we determine in our own resources to be right and wrong. We can't trust that. Only there has to be a standard. It leaves us in a constant state of flux. And, and what happens, we're not wearing the belt of truth and everything begins to fall apart. Again, Paul's saying, Jesus is saying, Listen, you've got to have this as your stabilizing factor. Everything's secured by that because if you're not wearing the belts of truth, everything falls apart. We, we read a similar situation in our culture in Judges 21-25. In those days, there was no king of Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. You know, doing what was right didn't work out too well for, in their own eyes, didn't work out too well for the Israelites either. It led to them doing all types of horrible things like rape, violence, bloodshed. That was the result of doing whatever they thought. Truth 
cannot be defined by individuals who have been created. We are imperfect. Truth has to be defined by the one who created truth. Only God, the creator of man, knows truth because only he is truth. None of us are. We are fallible, flawed individuals. But God is truth. Truth has to be defined by God. All truth is ultimately God-based knowledge. Look at it this way. Ephesians 14 is telling us the reason the belt of truth is so important is because truth equals reality. There is a such thing as absolute truth, and it is reality, whether you recognize it or not. Truth is not the revelation of man. It is the reality of God that we get from the revelation of his word. That is truth. Truth is is truth that is defined by God because he is truth. Truth at its core is whatever God says it is because he's truth. This includes God's original intent. Now, here's why this is important. Just the facts and the figures, I guess, of what truth is and isn't is important. That's important. But but truth is also God's original intent, his original plan for perfection that's been distorted by sin. And the reason that's important is because that is perfect. And that means that is the, the, the objective standard by which everything in life is to be judged. If you want to know what's right and wrong, look at God and his perfection and his perfect design for this world, for human beings, for the family, for everything. God's original intent. So we need to know what that is and we need to be in the process of becoming more like that every day, which is the result of salvation and being sanctified in Christ. But knowing God's original intent is how we know how to line our lives up underneath God's plan for us. Psalm 51.6, scripture tells us that, that, that God desires truth within us, not just outwardly in what we do, but in us. Surely you desire integrity in the inner self, and you teach me wisdom deep within. God wants truth to resonate in our inner selves because it's out of that that our intentions and our actions grow. Whatever's on the inside is going to come out, right? And so we have to have truth on on the inside. Our inner selves have to be transformed by truth. We also need to understand truth has already been predetermined by God. Again, you know, relativism, because of relativism, it's, there's chaos. What's true today isn't true tomorrow, and things change based on feelings, based on emotions, based on circumstances, based on new information that we didn't know. There has to be a standard that is predetermined in order for there to be absolute truth, and that's what God provides. Truth is objective. It's predetermined. It's fixed. It's not going to change with the latest fad or find. It is what God says it is. It's the standard by which all things must conform because it's the reality. Truth is reality in its original form. For example, one plus one is always going to equal two, right? I don't care how much I want it to equal three. It's always going to equal two because the laws of mathematics, a standard that is fixed tells me that that's what the result is. One plus one equals two. Truth cannot change simply because we want it to. Because my feelings change. Because I want something else to be true. Truth is truth. It is a standard. There are rules that that govern life that do not change simply because circumstance or opinion changes. 
God is the originator of all things true. It is he and his word. That's our point of reference. It has to be. The word of God has to be our point of reference. We can't change based on what we want. I mean, think about it this way. Let's say you go to the doctor, okay? You're having some chest pains. Hopefully no one is this morning, but let's say you do. You go to the doctor, and the doctor says, okay, here's how we're going to treat this, all right? I've got some brand new pills that I've just received. I'll give you a trial. It is, I've got this fancy little flyer. He says, you know, honestly, I have no idea what they're supposed to be used for, but the pretty flyer says they taste really good. So we're going to try that to treat your chest pains. What's your response going to be? If you're able, you're going to run as fast as you can out of that doctor's office and get to somebody else, right? Because there is a standard used in medicine to treat whatever you have. Okay, let's say you're balancing your checkbook. What do you use to determine how much money you have and how much money you've spent? There are laws, there are rules of mathematics, and you can want more money, all you want. You can wish you had more money, but the the math is going to tell you when you balance your checkbook how much you actually have. Well, if we depend on standard, absolute fixed standards to determine our health, and to determine our finances, how much more important is it to have an absolute, objective, fixed standard of truth to live by when we are preparing to face an enemy that wants to deceive and destroy us? We have to submit to something outside of ourselves to determine what is right and wrong because we are too flawed and too emotional and life is too crazy. We're too imperfect to determine what is right and wrong. There is a fixed standard of truth as defined by God, and we must submit to it. Truth is a powerful reality that's predetermined by God. It sets the standards, and our thoughts and decisions must line up under those standards. We also need to understand that truth is an internal reality. What's true on the outside through our actions, what we see, uh, what we experience, also needs to be true on the inside because in our spirit, that's how God relates to us. God is spirit. He relates to us in spirit. We need to cultivate internal truth. And here's how we do that. We do that by first being honest with ourselves about who we are, what we want, our desires, our beliefs. But also we need to be honest with God about who we are, our desires, our beliefs, our sins, what we want, what we don't want, being honest, being unveiled before God. 2 Corinthians 3.18, we all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is spirit. You know, one of the, the primary tactics of Satan in terms of distorting truth is he wants to convince you that you can't be honest with God. That God won't love you if he knows the real you. Scripture tells us that through salvation we are unveiled before God. There's nothing keeping, there's nothing between us and God. But what Satan wants is to keep you veiled. He wants your relationship with God to be a, a charade and not a true reality and not a true relationship. If he can convince you that, that you can't be honest, then the first step to knowing God is being honest with him, being open, being completely submitted to him. But if he can convince you that, that you, you can't do that, then he's already 
taken one of the, the, the main pieces of, of armor away from you, the truth. Because in order to know truth, you have to know God. In order to know God, you've got to be real before God. Real, unvarnished, raw before the Lord. He knows you already. We, we know that God already knows everything. Everything that you've ever done, everything you're going to do. There's no point in hiding, but we try so many times. But God knows you. Psalm 103, 14, he knows that we are made, what we are made of, remembering that we are dust. Wearing the belt of truth means being real before God. Again, you can't know truth if you don't, you can't wear the belt of truth if you don't know the Lord. You have to know God. In order to know God, you've got to be real with him, to have a real relationship with him. Because in order to know truth, you have to know God. So here's a question. What's your reality? Is truth relative and based on what you think or what others think? What the popular opinion of the day is? Or is it based on reality? Is it based on what God says it is, what he is, and what his word says it is? The belt, third, the belt shows us that God's truth is the only way to attain victory in battle. All of those things are important because if you want to have victory, you have to wear the belt of truth. Here's the question for all of us. What are you going to use to determine what's true and what's not? Will it be your emotions? Emotions fluctuate. They're important. Emotions are God-given, but they fluctuate, right? Depending on circumstances, what's going well, what's not, happy, sad, everything in between. Will it be your intellect? I mean, some of you in this room are pretty smart, a lot smarter than I am. But is anybody in this room infinitely wisdom? No, none of us are infinitely wisdom, infinitely wise. See, I can't even talk right, so you know. None of us have infinite wisdom, right? I mean, how many times in your life did you learn something and you thought, surely this was it, this was the right way to do it, only to find out later you learned something later and you changed your mind about it? We've all been there, right? We've believed something, we've thought something, and then all of a sudden we find out, hey, there's an easier way to do that. Or something else changes our opinion. We grow, we mature, and our opinions change. What about moral instincts? We use moral instincts. Those are good, but those too can be flawed. They can be affected by emotions. They can, I mean, let's think about it. Your convictions as a teenager are going to be different in some ways than when you grow up and have kids. I mean, I think about the way I thought of things before I had children. Some things are more important now than they were then. They change. So is it going to be all of those things? Or, or here, here's what I think is the best option to determine truth. How about divine revelation? Because emotions change. You know, intellect is flawed. It's limited no matter how smart you are. Circumstances change. All of those, those things, you know, uh, they, they change with, with growth and with culture and all of those things. But divine revelation from God, from who He is, from His Word... The absolute standard that never changes. Moral instincts even. Those are defined by God's word. Divine revelation. Only God is the author of original truth. Knowing him and his word is the only way to discover real truth. I'm going to say it again. 
Christ followers, we must learn to see the world, the world the way God and His Word see the world. If we want to see reality, if we want to know the truth, we have to know the author of truth. And truth is found in God's perfect Word, the Bible. The Bible is the foundation of our faith and practice. It's the standard of how all is measured and how life is to be lived. Our absolute objective standard has to be the Word of God because it is His revelation of Himself to man. The Bible, here's the question, and here's, this is debated, right? Uh, is, is the Bible, is it man's Word about God or is it God's Word to man? Because here's the reason that's important. If it's man's Word about God, then there is no absolute truth because you and I aren't perfect. We don't know everything about God. But if it's God's revelation to man, from what the Bible says, there is absolute truth. And we can align our lives. It doesn't matter what the culture thinks. It doesn't matter what you or I think. It doesn't matter what the opinions of those that we care about. It, it doesn't matter what, who, what people think or feel. There is absolute truth that never changes because God says there is. What do you believe to be true? I, I, you know, I hate to, to tell you this, but, you know, it's important to know, and this may be a downer for some, maybe a surprise to some of you, but, but we're not perfect. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. We, our souls, our will, our mind, our emotions that emanate from that, our souls are distorted. Even as saved individuals, it's distorted. The effects of sin, the deep effects of sin have reached down and distorted our souls so that they can't even recognize what they, we were intended to be without the transformation that comes from Christ. We are imperfect, so we cannot use our own emotions, our own thinking to determine truth. Our viewpoint needs to be restored. You and I... In order to fix that, we need to exchange our thoughts, our attitude for God. So how do we do that? Well, the only way to come to truth is to know the truth. And truth is not a thing. It's a person. Truth is Jesus. The only way you're going to know truth is to know the truth, to know Christ, to know him personally, intimately. And Jesus said in John 8, 32, he said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now, it's interesting. A lot of times in that verse, we emphasize Christians, the truth will set you free, right? We emphasize that part and that's really not accurate because it's not the facts and figures of truth that sets the factual reality of truth that sets people free. Because if that were the case, everybody would be free, right? Because truth is truth whether I realize it or not or recognize it or not. So the factual reality of truth would free everybody. So no, back up. You will know the truth. It's not truth itself. It's the type of truth you know. Knowing the truth is what sets you free. It's knowing Jesus as my Lord and Savior because he is truth. That is how we are set free. It's not the factual reality of truth. It is the person of truth. Truth is a person, and that's Jesus. And it's through the Holy Spirit that Jesus reveals truth to us. You have to know Christ, His Holy Spirit living in you. 1 Corinthians 2.10 Now God has revealed these things to us by the Spirit. For the Spirit searches, that word's important, searches everything, even the depths of God. That word searches means to continually examine. And so here's what the Holy Spirit does for us. He's our advocate. He's our advisor, our counselor. 
But He is our pathway to truth because the Holy Spirit is continually searching everything, even the mind and the heart of God. So the way we know God is the Holy Spirit reveals Him to us as He lives in and through us. Paul continues in verse 12, 1 Corinthians 2, Now we have not received the Holy Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who comes from God so that we may understand what has been freely given to us by God. It's through the Holy Spirit that you and I gain the ability to know God, but also to know His truth and to know what He wants from us. How we are to fight in this battle every day, this spiritual war. How we are to live for Him and to fulfill His purpose for our lives. It's through the Holy Spirit that we are given the opportunity to fix our distorted soul, to change our thoughts, our opinions, our viewpoint for God's. The Holy Spirit transforms us. This exchange is the, is the key to wearing the belt of truth. Look at 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5. For though we live in the body... We do not wage war in an unspiritual way, since the weapons of our warfare are not worldly, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. We demolish arguments and every high-minded thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, taking every thought captive to obey Christ. One of Satan's key strategies is to, he wants you to, he wants to distort the truth by mixing what you know to be true with your thoughts, your opinions, and the opinions of others. It could be something that's as seemingly innocent as what your friends think. It could be something like what the media tells you you should do or believe. It could be even your own distorted opinions that emanate from your distorted souls, your mind, your emotions, those types of things. But what Satan wants is for you, and he's fine with you accepting some truth. He's okay if you go to church and if you read the Bible and he and take that truth as long as you're mixing it with other sources like yourself, your emotions, your thoughts, your opinions, your friends' opinions, co-workers, the culture, what the culture's saying. He wants to mix all of those things together because he knows if he does that, if he successfully convinces you to do that, then he's opened the door through which he can get his foot in and ultimately distort truth by mixing all of that together. Think about it this way. Let's say I was going to prepare a pan of lasagna for everybody. You don't want me to do that because I'm not a good cook, but let's say I was, okay? Let's say I was the best lasagna cook in the place, okay? I had all the ingredients, you know, the noodles, the meat, the cheese, different types of cheeses, whatever, all that stuff, the sauce, everything that goes in. I put it all together. It looks great. But just before I stick it in the oven, I sprinkle a nice layer of arsenic over the top of it. Yeah. Yeah. How many people are having dinner at my house today? If you're smart, nobody, right? Because what's going to happen, no matter how good the rest of it is, what's that arsenic going to do to you? It's going to kill you. Here's what Satan does. He says, listen, you go to church. That's fine. Read your Bible. Absolutely. Read it every day. Memorize scripture. Hey, even I quote scripture out of context, but I quote it. And he does. He knows the scripture. Do all of that. That's perfectly fine. But then mix in your friend's opinions. Mix in what the culture says. Mix in what you think is right and wrong. As long as you mix all that together, Satan's happy because he knows that he can distort truth. That's what breeds relativism, is mixing all of those things in together instead of submitting to the one absolute standard of truth, God and His Word. We have to submit to that. 
You know, and when he does that, here's why that's so successful. If he get, convinces you to mix all that together, distorts truth, he's, he's convinced you to take off the belt of truth. He didn't even have to take it off for you. You've chosen to do that yourself, and you, your life then begins to fall apart. You are in no shape for battle. In order to know the truth, I have to know the truth. I have to know Jesus. I have to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I have to give my life to Him. I have to submit to Him. I have to believe that He is who He says He is and that His truth is real. That there is an absolute standard of truth that I need to adjust my life to. And then I need to stand on that truth without compromise. In order to wear the belt of truth, I mean, I need to share it. I need to have a passion to share the truth with others. And in today's culture, that is no easy task. I mean, think about the cultural issues that we talked about just a few weeks ago. I mean, human sexuality, homosexuality, uh, fornication, sex outside of marriage, uh, even polygamy is still a fight today. Just last year, there was this huge fight in Utah about whether or not polygamy was legal. I mean, all of these things, pornography, the modern day plague in our society. I quoted the statistics for you a few weeks ago. So, so what are you going to use to determine what's right and wrong in your life in terms of human sexuality? Are you going to, the culture just says, hey, whatever feels right, follow your heart. Problem is the Bible tells us the heart is deceiving and will deceive us. And so what are you going to do? You're going to do Whatever feels right, are you going to submit to an authority? Because if you want to know the truth about human sexuality, just go to Genesis chapter 2. God lays it out for us, plain and simple. One man, one woman for a lifetime. So that means polygamy, homosexuality, fornication, pornography, all of those things are outside of that. So that's how we determine what's right and wrong there. There's an absolute standard. So if we are going to wear the belt of truth, we have to believe that and we have to submit to that and we have to stand on it. But we also, as I mentioned a few weeks ago, need to have compassion. Listen, I'm a sinner just like everybody else. I've done things wrong. And one day I'm going to stand in judgment. My sins are covered, but I'm going to be held accountable for all of those things. And that's a sobering thought. If you have struggled with any of those things that I just mentioned, this is a place of grace. God is a God of love. We love you. Jesus loves you. He wants to restore you, forgive you, and restore you. But listen, I will always, always preach the truth as, a, as it's written in God's word, and we will always stand on that truth in this church. We'll do it lovingly, but we cannot compromise because once you begin to compromise, Satan gets his foot in the door and he distorts and suddenly there is no way to judge what's right and wrong. We have to know the truth. We have to submit the truth. Know Christ, submit to his truth, but we have to have compassion and Lord help me to have a passion for the truth. You know, we need to be passionate about sharing the truth and standing on the truth because we need to love others. Compassion and love. You know, the culture will define love by tolerance and the, 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 not even a correct definition of tolerance, that you accept what I believe as equally valid. If you love me, you'll accept me and everything I believe. But the Bible defines love as based on truth. I can love you genuinely, but disagree with what you believe. And what you do. And it's through compassion that I can show you that I love you, but also show you the truth. And that's what we have to do in our culture today. We have to stand on the truth, but we have to have compassion and we have to have a passion for the lost to reach them 
with the truth. If I believe in the God of the Bible, I'm going to do what he says and I'm going to believe what he says. How do we know what time it is? I'll explain the relevance in a minute. Anybody know how we know what time it is? Well, as of a couple of people, uh, as of just a few years ago, 2014, the, the NIST F2, the National Institute of Science and Technology, developed a new atomic clock. And I've got a picture. This is a guy working on this atomic clock. Now, this thing is supposed to be the most accurate clock that's ever been created. But it's not perfect because scientists say it could gain a second or lose a second sometime in the next 300 million years. So (laughs) that's pretty accurate though, right? Okay, let's say that I call this guy right here. I've got his number. I call him up and I say, listen, your clock's wrong. My watch is two minutes faster than that clock. What do you think he's going to say? He's going to say, I tell you what, I think you need to adjust your watch by my clock and not the other way around. Don't you? Because that's pretty accurate. God is truth. His word, he is truth. His word is true. Whether we realize it or not, whether we recognize it or not, believe it or not, he will, listen to me, he will not change his truth based on my opinion, your opinion, the culture's opinion, or anything else. The culture's going to tell you that that you don't have a right to tell me what's right and wrong. No, No one or no thing, including this book, has the right to tell you what's morally right and wrong. But God says, here's what you need to do. In in love, you need to align. I'm not adjusting to you. You need to adjust your life to the truth of my son, Jesus Christ, his death, his resurrection. You need to adjust your life to my truth as it's defined in my holy word. Because only then will you be properly equipped with the belt of truth. The belt of truth, 2019. As we face the rest of this year, as we face beyond. Let me give you some advice. The belt of truth, you better have it on tight, cinched up, and secured Because as you go about the day-to-day struggle of spiritual battle, you're going to need it. We're all going to need it. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word, which is truth. Thank you for your son, Jesus, who is truth. No matter what culture says, no matter what we believe to be right and wrong, we know there is an absolute standard of truth. And that is not something that we should fear or be insulted by. That provides protection and strength from day to day. It provides resources to live the way you want us to live. And it provides security. We can live in the security of knowing you and knowing that you're in control and that you've got a plan for our lives and your plan is good and it's perfect. And if we, as imperfect as we are, if we follow your plan and if we submit to you and live by your truth, if our lives line up under your truth, then we will be safe and secure in this struggle of life that we experience every day. The only way that's possible, the only way to know the truth is to know the truth, to know you, Jesus, as Lord and Savior. And I pray that if there's somebody here today who's never accepted salvation, that's only available through your death and resurrection, Jesus, that they would come today and that today would be the day of salvation for them. For those of us who follow you, do we really depend on your word, on who you are to determine what's right and wrong? Are we trying to mix in our own beliefs and the culture's belief 
with your word, with what you say is true. That's a recipe for disaster, for death, for destruction. And Lord, I pray that you would give us all the ability to see who you are and that you alone are truth and that we would submit fully to, to living your way and to discovering that we would be committed to discovering more of you every day. Lord, thank you for giving us any ability at all through your Holy Spirit to know what's right and wrong. And God, I pray that we would submit our lives to you. And if there are any other decisions that need to be made, Lord, I pray that we would make those now during this time of commitment. For it's in Jesus' name that we do pray. Amen.